This is the Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline. And we started that through Harris College. Um, and it is a center that we've developed to not only raise awareness, but also uh, dementia, you know, educate people with dementia. And it's not, this is TCU community, and I mean global community. It's not just our students. We want to involve everybody um, and educate everybody, raise awareness, and then we have research going on. That is the voice of Michelle Kimsey, an assistant professor in TCU's Harris College of Nursing. Michelle will talk about the dementia care education going on at TCU, as well as what someone in the community may do if they feel that they have the early warning signs of dementia. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Frog for Life podcast. I'm Melissa Austin Weeks, Associate Director for TCU Alumni Relations. And on this week's episode, we have Dr. Michelle Kimsey, Assistant Professor of Nursing for TCU's Harris College of Nursing. And we're going to talk dementia. For those of you who don't know, the month of September is dedicated to Alzheimer's Awareness Month. So, Michelle, we are so happy to have you on the show today, and we are going to cover some really important topics for people. So I want to start with you telling us a little bit about your professional journey and how you became involved in the work of memory care and dementia. Well, thank you very much for having me. And you're right, September is a very, very strong month and to raise awareness. So this is perfect timing. Um, well, I got interested in memory care. It's kind of a long roundabout way, but um, first of all, I graduated from Baylor and I know I'm probably the first bear to be on a TCU alumni podcast, but I, I do bleed purple. I love where I am. But years ago, I was a home health nurse and I had adult clients and loved them. And at the time, there wasn't a lot of, they had dementia, but nobody mentioned it. It was not discussed. And I just grew to love my, my clients. And I would bring my kids up to meet them, like when they were eating dinner and stuff. And every time they would come home and say, mom, how do you know Because they, you know, they didn't, couldn't notice. They thought, gosh, they look normal, act normal. What's the big deal? Well, fast forward and my mother-in-law developed Alzheimer's type dementia and Got, I was kind of experiencing that family ripple effect, you know, the denial, the, all the issues that a lot of families are going through. Um, she's fine. This is normal. Uh, this is, she just senile. I mean, there were a lot of different, different uh, ways we looked at her, but as it, it progressed. I quickly noticed that she was treated differently. She broke her hip, was in the hospital. The nurses, um, everybody treated her different as if she didn't matter as if she was not there or she was the crazy patient who didn't know if I was there or not and didn't care. So they just didn't speak to her. And my mother-in-law was a nurse. And so, you know, this, I was just very upset about the whole thing. Fast forward, she breaks her hip again. We go to a different hospital. And this is in Dallas, Fort Worth area. This is not, you know, this isn't a hospital that I thought would, you know, be up on all this. Long story short, it was the same. And so I realized as we tried to navigate this, it was very difficult. And again, the word dementia was not mentioned. You know, you just had to try to navigate and do the best you could. So that kind of gate, when I got to school, I was really curious. Were the nurses, did they have an, you know, were they just an attitude 
problem? Like, oh, I'm just not really in the mood to deal with different patients. Or was it knowledge? Did they lack or not understand dementia and what it was going through? So that's kind of where it all started. And I was teaching at Texas Women's University at the time. So I just really did a lot of research with my students because I understand trying to get into the hospital is so difficult. You know, nurses don't have time, you know, for me to be in there quizzing them. So that's where my journey started with dementia research also is pulling my students in and trying to figure out how we can better prepare our nursing students to be better uh, you know, nurses in dementia care. So that's kind of where it all started. Um, and that's where we are today is working with nursing students and pulling in you know, people living with dementia as experts and trying, you know, again, trying to figure out what works best. Okay, so I think a lot of people are wondering what is dementia? And I know that there are common types. So walk us through those different types. Cause I think people automatically think Alzheimer's and that's it. They don't realize that there's more to the story than that. Excellent question. There is a lot more. Um, the definition of dementia, you know, and we'll, we'll kind of pick this apart, but it's not a specific disease, but it's rather an overall term that describes a wide range of symptoms, more than just memory, but it can include maybe a decline in memory or other thinking skills or planning skills. Um, this might, you know, you might find it with language, reading, problem solving, um, anything that reduces that person's ability to carry on with their daily activities. So I know that's kind of hard to unpack, but if you think of an umbrella and put dementia in that umbrella and underneath are the types. So underneath that common umbrella of dementia, you might, have, you might hear or have heard Alzheimer's, vascular dementia, Lewy body dementia, Etc. There are many things that cause the dementia. So they're just different types. There are many, many, but those are the most common. We hear most about Alzheimer's type because the majority of people who have dementia have the Alzheimer's type. Approximately 60 to 70% was what we think. The second most common, and it's debated between vascular dementia and Lewy body type dementia. But again, those are the types. And I always try to give you a kind of a better picture is if you think of an umbrella term flowers. So you put flowers in that umbrella and underneath are tulips, roses, daisies. Those are types of flowers. So we really wanna kind of get that, that impact onto everybody because dementia and Alzheimer's, you'll hear people say, well, you know, my mother had Alzheimer's, but it didn't, she didn't have dementia. Dementia is the big umbrella term, so the, and the, the causes are underneath it. So when people say that, what is it you think they're making the distinction about? Well, and I would love to tell you that I knew, but it varies because some will switch those and say, my mother has dementia and it's, thank goodness it's not Alzheimer's. I think the, what we hear most about is Alzheimer's. So maybe if we have dementia, it's not quite Alzheimer's. I think is that, you know, because we hear so much about Alzheimer's type that maybe dementia might just be better. And that is false. Okay. Well, that's Alzheimer's a type. Okay. So that uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the truths of Alzheimer's. So we can probably, that might've been one of the truths to dispel the misinformation, but 
Okay, so I am um, approaching 60. And I know a lot of times um, as we age, we're like, ooh, where did I put my car keys? <laughs> and then some people are like, oh my gosh, I'm having to look for my car keys more often than not. I wonder if I'm getting dementia. So let's talk about, and I, I always tell, in fact, I told my coworkers this morning, if you ever go to the doctor and you complain about something and they say to you, oh, well, you're just getting old, you need to find a new doctor because that's not a reason to have a, something going on just because of your age. So let's talk about red flags versus age expected complaints. Okay. Well, the first one is what you, what's your, one of your fears is memory loss that disrupts daily life. So the most common thing you're gonna notice um, as far as a red flag is that repetitive story or that repetitive question. The most, the most recently learned information is typically what is forgotten. So for example, what I had for dinner last night, maybe who I talked to, did I, what did I eat for breakfast? What did I do this morning? Those are gonna be quickly forgotten. So you might see that repetitive question. It is obviously very normal as we get older to sometimes forget somebody's name. And then later, you know how you, you know, you're thinking, oh my gosh. And later you're like, oh yeah, it was Sally. That is, that is normal aging um, or appointments. You can't think of when that dentist appointment is, but when you get home or later, you can rec you know, recollect that. And that, that's normal. But things that disrupt your daily you know, life and that, that's, that repetitiveness um, you know, and asking over and over and forgetting things that you normally would have known. Okay. That's a big red flag. Um, challenging, um, challenges in planning or solving problems. So that's that my mother-in-law made bread all the time, homemade, did not follow the recipe. Well, the rolls did start to taste different. You know, not being able to either remember that recipe or even follow a recipe, you might see that that part of the brain is affected. Bills, we've heard from people who have dementia and their care partners that will say, you know, I knew there was a problem when my husband paid the mortgage three times in one month or the granddaughter who goes over to their grandparents' house and there's a stack of bills and they have, they've been put away somewhere and not paid. Those are big red flags. And just generally taking longer to do something. You know, you used to be able to do, um, prepare a letter or a thank you note, you know, in 20 minutes. Well, now it's taking you much longer. So those kind of things with planning and solving problems. It's obviously normal to make an occasional error when you're budgeting or you know, uh, your checkbook that you didn't do something correct. That's normal and that's okay, but it's the other uh, planning problems that are uh, a concern. Difficulty completing familiar tasks at home. You know, that's the driving, maybe forgetting how to get from point. So church, you go there every Sunday, you've done it for years and you forget how to get there. That would be a red flag. Um, our rules of your favorite game. I always give the example you shop in Tom Thumb all the time and you get lost and you can't get out. Um, those are, that's common with that. The familiar tasks become difficult. Um, it's obviously normal, especially for a lot of us to need help to record something or use the remote or fix something technical. We're okay there. Confusion with time or place is another one. And that's a lot, you know, you'll say, my dad used to say, Michelle, it doesn't matter if it's Monday or Tuesday, 
unless I have an appointment, right? That kind of makes that day set, set itself apart when you're retired. But this is more like seasons. It's August in Texas, and I'm determined to put a coat on. Um, um, again, those are seasonal changes, or you forget the big, big holidays, okay? Or you think the holiday is coming when it's, you know, six months away. Um, it's a normal to be, like I said with my father, to be confused, you know, unless you had an appointment. Another big one is, and you might hear people falling or you're asked a lot if so-and-so's had any falls because they have trouble with visual images or those spatial relationships. So you might see falls. Um, you might see the shiny uh, kind of the linoleum floors that have that glare. If there's water spilled, a lot of times people, that visual spatial makes it look like a hole. So you will see people kind of avoid it. So you can imagine that's where falls occur if you're trying to step down a step and you think it's six inches, this has happened to all of us, you know, you're thinking, okay, it's six inches and it's longer or shorter and it kind of jars you. So they have a hard time with that visual spatial piece. Um, so that's, that's a big one. Uh, you might uh, see falls and driving issues, you know, where you're parking and you think you're, you know, you have two, two feet and you don't, um, that's, that's another common red flag. Um, new problems with speaking and writing. You might see people who have loved to read, no longer read. And I always explain that if you had a sentence in every third or fourth word we remove, that sentence no longer really makes sense, correct? So if you love reading, but it's just not making sense like it used to, you're not going to read anymore. So you will see people um, with writing, you might notice it in their handwriting. And guess what? You might not notice it in writing. You might notice it just with their lack of reading because it varies from person to person. It's normal for us to search for that right word. It's an okay thing. You know, when you're going, okay, it's in that, in your time. I have that habit. problem a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I find it, but I'm finding that it's, uh, and maybe, maybe it has to do with, uh, I'm a woman and I'm in menopause and how it takes maybe just one extra nanosecond to say drink where I'm just, you know, but it also could be that I think sometimes women in particular get really busy. We've got so much stuff in our head that I just sometimes can't find the space to let that word come forward. That's right. Cause we're multitasking. Say, yeah. But I will say that has kind of concerned me. So it's something I'm keeping an eye on. Okay. Okay. Well, here's another common one misplacing things okay. normal you know we can all say yeah i misplaced my keys but you can trace it back yes you know, i was i was in my car yesterday whatever um this is where it's doesn't make sense so therefore the keys might or be in the, the microwave yeah or the refrigerator so that it's hard to trace back yeah okay. and that, so that becomes a common common problem decreased or poor judgment is a huge concern because that's where people are taken advantage of, especially financially. You know, that's the writing a huge check to a family member or to somebody, some scam, yes. you know, that, so that judgment is, is a little bit, um, it's poor at that point. So we have to really watch out for that piece because people are taken advantage of. Um, that's also, when we talk about losses, you might also hear people accuse you of, taking because the keys aren't where they're supposed to be and nobody can find them because they're in the microwave. So you have to really, you might be accused of misplacing the keys when it's just that they're not where they're supposed to be. Yeah. 
And the last one is a change in mood or personality. And you might hear um, the person who was always so pleasant is now suspicious or uh, emotional or fearful. So, and it's kind of disrupts their, it happens kind of at the drop of a hat in the middle of an activity or a middle of a family event and you can't really put your finger on it. And that is um, a big one. And you'll see here people say, you know, he's never acted that way. He was always very, or he's never said that. And so you might see a personality change. Um, and again, one thing about dementia, every person is different. And that's what makes this so hard because nobody presents the same no, but because we're all different, we all different personalities. We all come with an experience, a lot of experiences, and that affects how we may present with dementia. Wow, I mean, I'm I'm listening to this, and I'm a I'm a big. I was a caregiver for my parents. They came to live with me after my mother had a stroke, and my dad was blind for macular degeneration. So um, I did not experience dementia issues with them. But I think there were some depression issues, which happens a lot in older folks, especially when they have a life change like that. You know, they were independent living and then all of a sudden they're living with their daughter. They can't drive anymore. I could see where they, they could be misdiagnosed as just being depressed and given medication and told to come back in a couple of months. And then all this time, that's not really what it was. Absolutely correct. That is a common misdiagnosis. Yeah. Is depression another one for women when they um, a barrier, you know, that they come across is menopause because you had mentioned menopause sometimes has similar symptoms. And so women are dismissed and saying that that's just part of being, you know, going through menopause when in fact it, it might not be. Um, so yeah, there's several, uh, but depression is big even if you have depression without dementia, but a lot of times with dementia, you're going to have that depression. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially in the early, the early stages of it. Right. When you know what that you've been told you have dementia, mm -hmm. I think this is a great segue to the risk factors. Risk factors. That's what, you know, we talk about prevention and one of the common you could say it's a myth. One myth is people will say, why do I want to know if there's nothing I can do about it? Well, there are some things we can do about it because if you think about the risk factors, of course, the number one risk factor is age. You know, the older we get, we are at higher risk for dementia. That kind of, you know, that's where Alzheimer's comes in. But we also want to remember, you know, 65 and older is where that the dementia, we're starting to see a lot of the dementias, correct? It's not necessarily 90, but it is the 65. Um, family history. Now, you might be at higher risk if a family member has dementia, but you're not, um, you might not, you're just put at higher risk. So what am I going to do? Well, there's some modifiable risk factors, meaning ones that we have control over. Um, so high blood pressure. Okay, we have, we we you know hopefully we can modify that high cholesterol diabetes smoking obesity heart attack and stroke and that sounds very similar to heart health right we we've heard about our heart health for years and 
you can think of it, what's good for my heart is actually good for my brain too. So those are the ones that we have some, we have some control over to, to work on, you know, when we're 30, you know, our whole lives. Another one is the females. Female gender puts us at risk. And they used to think it's because we live longer than the male counterparts, but that's not the reason. And they don't exactly know, but it, it falls in the, you know, estrogen, you know, the fact that we lose that estrogen during, you know, and then after menopause, it declines. And, you know, they're doing a lot of research on the women and women's brains with, um, you know, dementia. The other thing about a female too is we're also a large part of the caregiver piece, you know, that caregiver role. So women are really impacted by dementia overall. Um, Another is any kind of insult or injury to your brain. I think we're seeing it in the NFL. We're seeing it in a lot of sports, um, you know, the, the protocol for concussions and those kind of things, because years ago, you didn't do that. And we're starting to see the results of that. So I always tell students, you know, any injury or insult to that brain does put you at higher risk. And so that's why numbers of concussions and those kind of things, or if you've been in a bad car wreck, you might um, in, you know, have a higher risk for dementia. So those risk factors, I know they're all over the place and they may put you at risk for different types of dementia. We have to hold on to hope that those modifiable ones, you know, the things that we can do um, to prevent those we need to be doing. So what, um, back to women in menopause and the, and the, the um, drop in estrogen. You know, I think a lot of women are fearful of estrogen supplements because of its link to breast cancer. So in that case, what do you do? You're going to have to, well, let me tell you, there has been a study that women after menopause and they already had signs of dementia, they started them on estrogen. And oh. guess what? It didn't work. Okay. Now they're looking at more preventative. So starting that estrogen during, you know, the menopausal, you know, if you're at higher risk, you know, that's something you have to really discuss with your physician, because you're right, you're weighing two different yeah. goals there, of which do you want to be at risk at, and which is, you know, the better off for you personally. So that's something you would need to talk with your physician, but you're right. It's one of those, what, what do I do? It's not so easy. No, it's not. So I, um, I'm someone who is listening to this and, and saying, wow, I have a lot of these things. It's been weighing on my mind. I'm afraid to go to the doctor. So I'm in that situation, not me. I'm just saying hypothetically. Right. What delays diagnosis? Oh, that's a good one too. Uh, first of all, the fear is real. Um, they have done studies, you know, the big fear for, for most of us growing older was cancer. This is surpassed it. We, you're, we're fearful of it. Um, and there's many people who don't want to know, and there's many that do, and that's all getting personal. But you know what holds people from getting that diagnosis? It, it could be lack of knowledge. I'll get, you know, meaning I don't know what to do. I don't know how to navigate. I don't know if this is normal. But stigma, we are scared, right? Family, we're in denial, whether it's the person with dementia or the family, right? You know, oh, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. There's denial. And this all comes back to the stigma. And I think what 
it is, is, you know, we have so many, we have friends that don't want anybody to know that they have dementia. They have sat at home for five years with these symptoms, five years. And as you can imagine, relationships are getting splintered and there's a lot going on because we don't want anybody to know that I, I have dementia, you know? And I think it's, a lot of it is because we all view dementia as that aggressive person that, you know, that person who has those behaviors or who is, doesn't talk or the empty shell. No, our view, we, we need to change our view of dementia because if you know somebody with dementia, they're, they can live a great quality life here. And we have already decided it's the person that's nonverbal in the, in the nursing home. That's what it means. And I think we have to remove that because that is a huge barrier. Another is how to navigate. How, where, who do I go see, right? Um, and then when I go see somebody, are they going to dismiss me? That's because a lot of people have been dismissed and guess what? They don't go back, right? Because, you know, I've been dismissed. They told me not to worry about it. There was nothing we could do. Um, or, so that's or, the or what I shared with you, which was a, a friend of mine uh, thinks that some things are happening, went to her doctor and he said, well, why don't you just keep making a note of it and come back in about three or four months and let's see. You think she's going to go back? No, because he's already dismissed her and told her that she's that she couldn't possibly have dementia. She's too young or, or what she's too whatever. Right. And, you know, I, I, and there's story after story, but another similar thing with a different reason was he was dismissed because he didn't have any memory problems. He had Lewy body dementia. It was told, you know, so you, you, there's, you're going to have to really persevere. Well, I, you know, not everybody knows how to navigate the healthcare system. I mean, very few people do. So yeah. I think it's really, um, I mean, there's other barriers is lack of knowledge on the healthcare in general. And I know that's kind of where, you know, we've got to change that too. Does my doctor have enough knowledge to really understand and right pause and listen to me and spend time with me and then help me navigate that? And that's, a, you know, another piece of it is knowledge, but we have to give people the power. And I think that it takes all of us though. We have to make it okay to have live with dementia. And also have a physician who's willing to say, I don't know. <laughs> right. And a lot of physicians don't like to admit they don't know. Right. I don't know. So let's get you to someone who can answer that. What's, you know, right. anyway, I could go on and, for days about that. Oh, yeah. Yes, I could too. And, you know, dementia is is a hard diagnosis to give somebody also. Yeah. I mean, I, I, not that there's other, you know, diagnoses that are extremely difficult too, but We've got to be ready to do that. Um, this wasn't on our list of things we were going to cover, but I do want to ask this because I, I, I think some people aren't sure, well, how do you diagnose dementia? Excellent question, because that kind of goes back to, to who do I go to? Yeah. I always would, my, my opinion would be you start with your GP. If you have a family physician, if you have somebody who you have seen, always start there and say, this is kind of what's going on, I'm concerned. The next step is always going to be 
the neuropsych testing. You've got to get that diagnosis through neuropsych testing. And that's three or four hours of test and not all invasive. You know, there are a lot of the uh, quizzing, you know, the memory, cognitive testing, because you really want to get that true diagnosis as best, you know, as best you can, because that early diagnosis gives you time to get the resources and the support and then the medications, and that's a whole nother ball of wax, but medications, though there's no treatment um, yet, uh, or that's debatable too, but the medications that we have actually work better in early stages, the earlier stages may be able to slow it. So, and then that's when you can make your, you know, wishes known and I'm going to still do this and, you know, so we have to get that diagnosis and you do need to see a neurologist and, you know, the other barrier there is time. I mean, the, to get in to see a neurologist sometimes is three to six months, depending on where you're going Yeah, to get those tests. But I would start with somebody, you know, who you're familiar with, your GP. And if not, I would find a neurologist. And that's, again, I know it seems so easy, but it's not always easy to navigate that either. Yeah. And I think that um, a good resource could be to reach out to friends, you know, mm -hmm. put a message out on Facebook from people you trust to say who are some good doctors you've worked with with your parents or your, you know, relatives, friends that could be somebody right. I could go see. Because, right. um, you know, I, I always try to remind people your doctor works for you. It's not the other way around. If you're not happy with the kind of care you're getting or the answers, find someone else. Mm -hmm. that better suits your needs. It's going to be a better navigator for you because you only get one shot at life. So, okay. I do want to remind people, which I don't, don't think I shared, is that we're going to do two parts. Yes. So you're going to come back with us for our next episode and we're going to talk about you've been diagnosed, now what to do, and then we're going to have a special guest with us who is experiencing dementia right now. And yes. um, so that's going to be our great example of how you can live a very productive life with the diagnosis um, of dementia, right? Yes, okay. absolutely. So before we wrap up today, I want you to tell us all the exciting things that are happening at TCU and Harris College of Nursing with dementia education, awareness, and care. And there's a lot. So if you have a pen and paper, take notes. This is the exciting part. Um, yes. We have, I'll call it a collaboratory, a fancy word for a center without walls, but it's Rethinking Dementia. And we started that through Harris College. Um, and it is a center that we've developed to not only raise awareness, but also uh, dementia, you know, educate people with dementia. And it's not, this is TCU community, and I mean global community. It's not just our students. We want to involve everybody um, and educate everybody, raise awareness, and then we have research going on. So through the research, we have students doing online visits with people with dementia. We have that going on, and we've collected a lot of data there. Um, so raising awareness, we have done several community seminars online and face-to-face. -face. In fact, we were at a church this summer. Our goal is to raise awareness um, again, across the community and then TCU itself. We also are, we can do dementia friends sessions. Those are available. 
We also have um, some of that money that, that we've raised goes to our students for dementia-friendly TCU, which is a student-led uh, organization campus-wide, not specific to nursing or healthcare students. And that started about a year ago, and I think we have 72 members right now, so that's kind of exciting. We also have 69 students in the last year and a half who have graduated with um, a dementia certification, and it's called the Certified Dementia Practitioner. So as they walk across that stage, they already have that certification, which is huge. Um, on the resume, they will tell you in going through interviews, but just my deal is if you can take care of somebody who's living with dementia, you're, you can take care of anybody. You're gonna be a fabulous nurse because you see the person first. Um, we're starting memory cafes uh, through this uh, Rethinking Dementia. And last but not least, we're looking at, um, we've started it a year ago, every semester in nursing school, starting their sophomore two, we have interjected dementia education. So by the time they graduate, they will have 24 hours of dementia education. And that's in our nursing program. Uh, Harris College is uh, designated dementia friendly because all of the faculty in the College of Nursing and staff have been trained and educated in dementia. So, I mean, there's lots going on. It's really excited. And my favorite thing is this semester, we have a three-hour dementia course. We have 24 students and it's campus-wide. Again, it's not just nursing. And I have a person living with dementia and his wife helping me teach it. So they're going to be there every class period with me to offer their perspective because I always consider them the experts in it. Yes. And um, so there's a lot going on. It's really excited. That's why uh, I just need to share this. It's a lot going on at TCU. Really exciting. Well, I wish everyone could see your face light up when you talk about um, your passion. And I think it's, it's wonderful when we have a passion in life that we feel so strongly about. And it's what you're doing is going to impact so many people, not only the caregiver, but the care receiver. So um, I want to ask real quickly, and maybe we'll talk about this next week, is the Memory Cafe. Can you tell everybody what that is? A Memory Cafe is a, we, is a place where people who are living with dementia and a caregiver come, and it's more social. It's not about dementia. It's about um, I think for Christmas we did gingerbread houses. We there's music, and it's Sometimes it meets once a month. We're trying to get it started at TCU to maybe even every other week, but it's just an event. So we, I, I always feel like we can tie in TCU's community by having mu the music students do a day, art students, we did art. Um, and it's just really social time for both of them, you know, the person with dementia and their care partner to get out and, you know, just enjoy each other and enjoy doing things together. You know, um, COVID has put a cramp in that currently, yeah. but that is what a memory cafe is. And we really would love for that to happen over at the Kelly Center. And when we get into volunteers, we're going to do that. And I also think if we have people who are listening that have a church or a facility yes. that's near campus and they want to do some outreach, community outreach, that they could get in touch with you about maybe um them donating their space a few hours a week where um you know people could come together 
and have a safe place to be and enjoy each other's company and the person who's the caregiver can get the support they need to be around others. Absolutely. Because I really, I mean, and I've said this before, it's going to take all of us, you know, it's not, we're all going to need to help and do our part to, to make sure that they have a quality of life because it's, you know, I have to tell you, I have more people who are living with dementia who become advocates for themselves, who are part of their own groups and who, you know, I have, I think, 25 talking to nursing students and they come to class. I mean, they want to help. They want to do their part too and advocate for dementia and dementia education. So it takes all of us and they're right there in the middle of it. And the things we can learn from each other. That's amazing. Okay. So we're going to wrap up today's talk, which I have had so much fun um, getting to know you and spending time with you and learning about your passion. I want people to know how they can get in touch with you if they want to volunteer um, for some of the things that you've just spoken about, maybe they want to get certified or learn more about dementia or have a dementia friendly campus at their place of work, how, or support your research, research financially support your research. If we have philanthropists out there, I know you could use the re financial resources to be able to do the amazing things you're doing. So how can people get in touch with you? Okay, the best way to do it for the next few weeks is going to be email me um, at m.kimsey, K-I-M-Z-E-Y, at tcu.edu. Our website for Rethinking Dementia should be active within the next two to three weeks. So hopefully by our next podcast, yeah, I'll be what, able to. What will that website name be? It will be rethinkingdementia.edu tcu.edu. Okay, perfect. Okay, so great stuff. Be sure to stay tuned for part two when we're going to talk about, um, okay, you've been diagnosed. Where do you go? Who do you see? What do you do? And how has dementia, um, what good has come out of dementia? And so there's a lot of, there are a lot of happy things Yes, to share in that arena. So thank you for your time today. It's been great. And um, thank you everyone for listening to the Frogs for Life podcast. And we will um, see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frog for Life podcast. If you or a friend or family member would like to get in touch with us to share your story, please contact us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at TCU Alumni. We look forward to sharing our next story of how TCU alumni are changing the world.